welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and on today's show I am joined by Tabitha Crystal, a final year health psychology programme student, to talk about how she is helping stroke survivors and their carers online. Tabitha, it is brilliant to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, this is excellent. As soon as I saw the email for this, this is the definition of the common good. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about it. And I think the best place to start is by looking at the initiative itself. Tell me about this project you're working on. So where do I start? <laughs> um, I'm currently working with chest, heart and stroke Scotland. And that was actually part of my placement. And I was very lucky that it was set up and all ready to go just for me to attend and uh, get on board with the team and get to know a little bit more about chest, heart and stroke. Prior to that, I must admit I had very little knowledge about what it was, what it meant to have a stroke and what it meant to take care of someone who has a stroke. However, the wonderful team at Chess Heart and Stroke just took me under the wing and guided me through their group meetings and introduced me to local people who have been experiencing stroke and who have had several difficulties because of that. Okay, so you said you were all ready to get going. What happened next? Next thing was that I spent a few t- uh, a few meetings getting used to the Glaswegian accent, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once that got on, I involved myself a little bit more. And for the first few months, it was more about just really understanding what was happening and trusting that the people that were leading it were incredibly capable of doing so and of guiding me through it. After that, that finished my first year of the DSEC program and onto the second year, I noticed between the summer, I was reflecting as we often do in this program about what was needed for the service because I felt that while there were incredible services being offered to stroke survivors, there were very few being offered to carers. And one thing that we have noticed is that the Office of National Statistics actually showed that there are around 6.5 million cases uh, of carers in the UK, not cases, carers. And with an average of 25 hours a week of work, which is practically a part-time job. And all these stroke survivors that were coming into the service, were coming into chest, heart and stroke, they all had carers. However, there were, there were some of them who clearly were struggling. There were some carers who were struggling and you could see this being reflected on the stroke survivor. And that is when I did a bit of research and I spoke a little bit to chest, heart and stroke and noticed that there wasn't a service for for carers in Glasgow. And because of that, we said, okay, how about we open one? We have no budget that we need to really think of. And we are able to conduct this for free because of the university and because of chest, heart and stroke as a charity. 
and we will just get the papers going and get this presented to the directors and see where it goes from there. And that's kind of what happened. And the coordinators at Chess Art of Stroke immediately jumped on. They were like, we know people we can send. We know people we can refer. So then it was about, let's have a look at what the service is going to be about. Mm -hmm. Who is it going to serve? So it, it was decided that we should first serve the carers, which was the primary aim. And see how we can support them psychologically. And by that, we mean we have a very various ways of approaches that we had to consider of how to support them because we couldn't just say, okay, we're going to fit everyone in under one bracket yeah. and everyone's going to be there. And then COVID happened uh, right about the very, very start of the service, the very launch of the service. So then when COVID hit then, how drastically did you have to rethink the way the service was going to be delivered? So it was already a massive headache to find premises for uh, carers to attend therapy. And that is because of the very unique difficulties that carers have in the sense that we see that I said previously that 25 hours is what they spend. However, in informal carers tend to spend 24 seven uh, with the, their patient. And because of that, it was very difficult for many of them to get that hour away to come in. And that was a headache for me to try and find premises which were adequate for therapy, which allowed for the confidentiality and the ethical agreements that we must base our therapy on. And COVID happened at a fantastic time because everything automatically shifted online, which was something that we didn't really think of. So when the online thing happened, I guess that opened a very different set of doors and it allowed for me to get more carers in and get more coordinators on board and the referral process became easier and even the scheduling of clients became much easier. So over that period, how has it grown from when you first started to now? So initially, as we said, we were looking and focusing on carers. However, after a while and after a few months where carers were presenting with, especially during COVID, with higher anxiety and high depression levels, some with addictive behaviors, we realized, okay, how about we also open it for stroke survivors? Because while there are services at Chest, Heart and Stroke for stroke survivors, there might not be psychological services immediately available to them. As usual, sometimes these take a while to be accessed, especially through the NHS and especially during COVID when it was the peak and uh, of the need of several people. So that was very much held by another trainee coming on board and getting acquainted even more better with the service and even getting so much support from chest, heart and stroke team to build and continue to work towards supporting now, not just the carers, but also stroke survivors. And in fact, we expanded from Prior to that, we expanded from focusing just on people from Glasgow to people pretty much all around Scotland. And it was incredible. 
because I had, for instance, a client who came from the borders and he was a stroke survivor and there was no way that he, I would be able to reach him or he would be able to come in if it was under normal circumstances. And just because of the availability of such a service, he was able to attend therapy and get something out of it. Let's talk about stroke then. How many people suffer a stroke each year in the UK? There are currently around 113,000 individuals uh, suffering from stroke. And we say that there are now in the UK. So then what are some of the after effects of a stroke? One thing that a stroke does, it affects a part of the brain or which we usually, which is usually ischemic stroke. It usually is 85% of strokes. And so it is sometimes a bit easier to just focus on that. However, all strokes, all forms of stroke have a debilitating effect on a person. Every stroke affects a person differently. However, there are common things such as physical effects of a stroke, where mobility can be hindered. There are changes to taste and smell sometimes, swallowing problems, vision problems. There are even balance problems and they can have seizure and epilepsy and even pain after stroke. So a lot of different ways that it can be affected. Several people uh, within the first few months, they do actually you see an improvement within the first six months, so to speak. And after that six months, the improvement will decrease. In, in, and when I say decrease, it will slow down. So there will still be an improvement, but at a slower pace. So for people that have had strokes, I imagine the effects can be life-changing and they will need quite a lot of care when they're going through the rehabilitation process. What are some of the stresses then that affect carers during this period? Absolutely. So if you just think about what we just said about the physical effects of stroke, you see uh, the impact on caregivers can be incredibly high. There was a study that was actually looking at the impact of caregivers in a while ago but still relevant in 2003 and it showed that caregivers have higher levels of CRP which indicates a higher risk of inflammatory disease when compared to non-caregivers which is incredibly significant if you think about it and apart from that there are people between the 35 and 75 year old bracket where we see most carers coming from. So it starts from 35 to 75. Within that period, you see that 35 to around 60, 65, you have people who are working. So how is that going to affect their work? Some people have to stop working in order to look after the partner oftentimes. And then you have even further on, you have elderly people looking after elderly people, which is a common and growing problem as we have an aging society. You created these sessions, Tarata. Tell me about the process that went into putting them together. The process was very much determined by literature and by observing what was needed. And when I say literature, it was just about me looking at what worked for carers, what worked for stroke survivors. So for instance, for carers, there was 
uh, I went over a systematic review, which is a collection of studies that is observed and analyzed. And it was, it found, it was looking at coping mechanisms and of carers and the common ones and what is helpful and what is not. And one of the, what it found, the systematic review was that pro problem focused coping had a more positive impact than emotion focused coping. Mm. And you might say, but in therapy, you're talking about emotions. Yes, but that's the beautiful thing about health psychology, which I find is that we focus, or CBT, we focus on the behavior in this part. So we're looking at how are carers managing their time? How are they adjusting to a new diagnosis? How are they getting, making time for themselves, for example? So there is a lot of behavioral activation that we call it, uh, or behavior intervention that go into it. And then with some clients, it, it is found to be more reliable to use or more successful to use emotion-focused therapy, but only with certain presentations. And then the most thing that has helped is definitely for carers to have social support, which is such as tangible support and emotional support, oftentimes either from people coming in to help them or with the physical part of the caring role or even other carers sharing their life story and their experience with other carers. You mentioned about the logistical benefits of hosting these sessions online, but how have the patients found them? Do they enjoy taking part in them? So that's a very good question because from my part, I understand that that is also because it was, it's reduced the levels of stress and level of me thinking of how to do it and where to go. And for a lot, and I would say most of the carers, being online has been beneficial as well. However, I would say that I have seen more of the elderly population. In fact, most of the carers have ranged from 40 upwards. I haven't had young carers, so to speak. And with my oldest carer being 81 years old. And funnily enough, the 81 year old was more tech savvy than I am, which is incredible. And that's what I mean, while technology can be a barrier to communication, to reaching out for several people, so for what we say, several elderly. Thankfully, within this group, I haven't found that that much. However, the more severe kind, the more severe presentations tend to be a little bit more difficult to conduct online. And that is because there is a need for the intimacy that perhaps a therapy room can offer. And therefore, an online service was incredibly difficult for some people. And in fact, for a couple of clients, I've had to encourage them or suggest that we stop or pause the therapy because it wasn't found to be beneficial and resume once we were able to do face-to-face -face if that was possible. What about you as a practitioner? Do you prefer the online sessions to face-to-face -face sessions? Funnily enough, now I think I definitely prefer the online sessions. Now I I hear other practitioners going, ah, 
don't say that don't screaming at me no face to face is the way to do it otherwise it's not proper therapy and there are people who who I've met who do things that way however I find that as long as the client finds it beneficial and as long as the client is getting something out of it and is somehow improving then what's wrong with online and seeing how we are becoming more uh, technological and more free in our movement where one day we'll be in one country especially for me and another day I'll be in another country then there is a better ease to use technology such as this to actually continue the support. This project has grown rapidly over the last 18 months where do you see it going say in the next like five years for instance? So I would hope that more trainee health psychologists specifically continue to go on into displacement and continue to create their own ideas of how it can grow because I feel from my perspective I do have certain ideas of okay maybe now we can expand it eventually not just to stroke uh, patients but we can involve also the people suffering from chest or heart diseases which is part of the name and the only reason that it is not able to do is because of lack of funding or lack of people to work in these and it is very important to build a team and to keep the team and I think creating a strong liaison with the university as it has right now and keeping that relationship and making sure that it it is cared for and not just becomes casual then I see that it has a lot of potential to remain strong and actually become one of the main ways that carers in off-stroke or chest heart related issues in Scotland can get their, how to say, get support from it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's demonstrable evidence that it is working, the relationship between chest heart and stroke Scotland and the university is working and, and hopefully we're able to see that continuing well into the future. But Let's talk about yourself a bit for a second, Tabitha. What is your background? What led you to Glasgow Caledonia University? So it was a bit of a winding road. <laughs> uh, I am from Malta and I've lived there for a big amount of my life, a large portion of my life. And I started off with English and psychology, actually. I wasn't completely sure whether psychology was going to be my line of work however one week in into the first year of uni I was certain that psychology was going to be the way now oftentimes you will always hear clinical psychology being uh, pushed as the, the number one form of psychology that or approach that you should go into our area and I realized that I uh, after intro being introduced to health psychology that I absolutely li liked it and I was like oh tell me more about this and in fact I completed my master's in Coventry and uh, after taking a year out just to work and gather some funds <laughs> I went onto the DSAC program at GCU which has been incredibly challenging to say the least but 100% rewarding in terms of offering you various, various different experiences that you wouldn't be able to get even with other co similar courses in UK. 
and even being able to network in such a way that it is great for you as a professional and for whoever you're meeting. Where do you see yourself going in the future? Oof, that's always tough. <laughs> um, uh, I see myself graduating and becoming qualified. So that's the first next step. And I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. And after that, I'm actually looking for remote positions. So I think this online uh, therapy works for me. Now, where can people go if they want to learn more about your work and the work of Chest, Heart and Stroke Scotland and perhaps get involved with it? So I would direct them to the Chest, Heart and Stroke uh, website directly. And that is, I think, something like chss.org.uk. And uh, there is a lot of information and even academic research to support what is being done at Chess, Heart and Stroke. And they can always inquire, for instance, Dr. Jan Smith, who is currently the main liaison between the university and Chess, Heart and Stroke. Oh, and you can find me on LinkedIn under Tabitha Crystal. I'm always there. <laughs> well, Tabitha, that was great to talk to you. Thank you very much for appearing on the show and good luck with the rest of this project and good luck with whatever happens next in the future. Thank you very much. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to this show and I hope to see you again next time when we will be in conversation with another member of the GCU community. In the meantime, I will kindly ask you to subscribe to this podcast so you get every single episode sent straight to your listening device every week. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from. Until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been The Common Good Podcast. <laughs>